The second night of Slichos before Rosh Hashanah, at least in the minhag of Poland, Polin, and Ashkenazim have very different minhagim of when to say certain Slichos. There was a pool of Slichos, and certain sectors of Western Europe, or Western and Eastern Europe, certain European sectors, one sequence was established in other sectors, a different sequence, more or less. They drew from the same pool, it's just a question of which slicha and which pizmon was set on which night. And even if you have a different girsa, if let's say you have lita as opposed to polin, or polin as opposed to lita, you could pretty much find all the pizmonim just by scanning or having an index, a table of contents. So at least according to the minhag polin, which is the minhag that many people follow in Eretz Yisrael, according to that minhag, the second night of slichos, which is really for many people in many ways the first, so to speak, regular slichos, because the first night everyone's in shul and it's a special event, it's Matzei Shabbos. And then the second night is when you settle into a routine. The Pizmon is referred to as Malachei Rachamim Mersharsei Elyon. Um, the peer begins with requesting that the Malachim assist us in davening to Baruch Hu, in pleading our case, in Demanding that a Kurdish Baruch Hu not just um, absolve or or uh, or eliminate the chatoim and award us a year of health and happiness, but also improve the plight and the fate of Am Yisrael, and really so much of slichos unexpectedly. And I'll try to note this with each slicha, but unexpectedly, to a degree, so many of the slichos don't really focus on individual experiences, on an individual standing in front of a Kodesh Baruch Hu, having sinned, having strayed, having wandered, looking for repentance, looking for forgiveness, or even a group of people having sinned, searching for absolution. But so much of Slichos is, is an odyssey through Jewish history and recognizing how much Jews have suffered and how long the historical struggle has been and how persecuted and how downtrodden we are. And it's almost as if there's a latent or implicit statement in Slichos that as individuals, or even as collections of individuals, we certainly have no assumption or have no audacity to assume that we deserve the forgiveness, we deserve the brachos which we seek. Our, our record just doesn't support it. Our behavior just doesn't warrant it. But we ask HaKadosh Baruch Hu, see us in the larger picture, cast our own lot in the broader perspective of the Jewish experience, of the Jewish historical struggle, and we've endured so much, and Jews have suffered so terribly, and the Gullus has lasted so long that we deserve and almost demand a response to that, and our personal drama on Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur should be subsumed within the collective historical process, and that should lead to a, a triumphant or a successful response from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And there's another shear I gave this year a few years ago. I'll, I'll cross-link that shear on the title page of this year, specifically about that issue, specifically about the voice of Jewish history. You wouldn't think so. You'd think that tshuva is a very private voice, and it's a very focused and localized discussion between a human being and an individual who stands on a barren landscape, stripped of history, stripped of human convention, stripped of hope, and just looks at a Kurdish Baruch Hu for forgiveness. And a lot of it is as such. And certainly the image of Moshe Rabbeinu on Harsinai in Parshas Kitisa, experiencing the Rabboni Shalom, being taught the 13 Midos, certainly is very, very private, very individualistic. But Slichos has a lot to do with Tishabath. A lot of the Slichos sound eerily familiar and eerily similar to the Kinos, which we recited two months ago 
around on Tisha B'Av, two months from Yom Kippur at least. So this is the, probably the first slicha for those that follow Minok Polin. The first night when we recited L'Shmoa El Harina V'El Hatzfila, there's very little about Jewish history. Tonight, the second night, almost every stanza talks about the Jewish people, poor, impoverished, Amani V'Avyon, the second paragraph, taken captive for free, sold, but not to be obtained through money, just handed over from one master to another. Again, Am repeats itself in every single stanza. The conclusion of every single stanza is, Perhaps HaKadosh Baruch Hu will have pity and have compassion for a poor and downtrodden nation, Maybe he'll have mercy upon us. That's how every single paragraph ends. And the paragraphs slightly, slightly deviate. Our heads are thrust into the ground. Kivushe panim. Laksa bikiflayim. We've been afflicted twice. And this is a reference to, and as, as everything, of course, is, these are references to psukim. Lakta bikiflayim. We've been lashed or we've been afflicted twice is a reference to a pasuk in Yeshaya, Perak Mem. Um, we have been afflicted by HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Literally, we have acquired suffering twice. Probably a reference to the two Bate Mikdash. Um, a lot of the imagery is about the Jewish people being imprisoned, incarcerated, tied up, head into the ground, downtrodden. So this is probably the first, the first kina in which the subject matter switches from personal solicitation of individual absolution and tshuva to a more grander, larger historical sweep. Of course, the the issue, the controversy, this is a very controversial slicha, um, not because it's so um, so uh, laced with the controversy. There are other slichos that have more of controversy, the same controversy in them, but this starts the controversy. The slicha begins with us beseeching or asking malachim, to help us daven. Malachei Rachamim, angels of mercy. Mishrasei Elyon, servants of the higher one, of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Chalu na keel. Please beseech, please pray. Chalu is like the word Vayichal, when Moshe davens Vayichal Moshe. Chalu na penei keel b'meitav higayon. Ulai achos amaniv hivyon, ulai yirachem. Perhaps with your help, we can convince HaKadosh Baruch Hu to have compassion, to have pity on a poor and downtrodden nation. And then every single Stanza begins with Ulayirachem, Ulayirachem. But the predicate of this entire, or the, or the pretext of this entire slicha, is looking to angels and soliciting their help in our tefillahs. And of course, this is a subtle reference to it. Perhaps the slicha that really drew the most controversy and the most disagreement is the slicha in the end of davening, after Tachanon, after we have what's called the Philas Apayim. The slicha called Machnise Rachamim, Hachnisu Rachamenu, Lifnei Bal Harachamim. Those who, um, those who advance calls for mercy, please help our calls advance. The same, the same notion, the same flavor of our slicha, but much, much more, um, articulate, elaborate, repetitive, again and again. Machnise Rachamim, Machnisu Rachamenu, Mashmiyetvila, those angels who are meant to sound and broadcast our tvila, should broadcast. And, and in modern context, and I'll put a link to this also, there's a beautiful rendition, beautiful song that's been uh, associated with that kina. A lot of people, with that slicha, excuse me, a lot of people sing it. It's very, very heart-rending and, and soulful. But of course, this was a great, great controversy. Um, 
because we're not expected or even allowed to uh, solicit the assistance of intermediaries, even if our ultimate target is HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And, and perhaps the first time that that debacle occurred was during the Charego, which according to most Rishonim was not an attempt to replace HaKadosh Baruch Hu by an ego. That would be preposterous. But to acquire an intermediary, the absence of Moshe caused consternation and insecurity. And how can man stand in front of God and interact with HaKadosh Baruch Hu? He needs some go-between. He needs some middleman. And the ego was was selected as some symbol or some being that would be an intermediary. And throughout the generations, Malachim were sometimes highlighted as, as these intermediaries, in particular when it comes to tefillah, in particular when it comes to tefillah. And there was some stiff opposition to this. It starts from a Yushalmi in Brachos, in which there's a parable or metaphor story of, of a person who is meant to ask the king for a favor. He shouldn't just barge in on the king, but he has to stand by the door and ask the slaves and the king's assistant to speak on his behalf. But the Yishalmi says, not true. With HaKadosh Baruch Hu and Am Yisrael, we should speak directly to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And this Yishalmi probably, probably, is not a Yishalmi that is theological, the theological problems with speaking to intermediaries, but it's more about the passion and the love that HaKadosh Baruch Hu invites us to speak directly. But it would suggest that if we choose to solicit the help of intermediaries, it may not be that catastrophic or, or heretical. But the Rambam in his parish Mishnais to Sanhedrin was very opposed to seeing any Malachim as possessing will or cognitive thought of their own, the complete extensions of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. The only creature in this world that has freedom of choice is a human being, the only creature, of course, being a human being, HaKadosh Baruch Hu has freedom of choice, but he's not a creature. And there's a very famous statement of the Ramban in a sefer he wrote, a small booklet called Taras Hashem Temima, in which he directly, directly prohibits. The Ramam speaks in general, doesn't really speak about tefillah and soliciting malachim. He speaks more metaphysical and philosophical about how we see angels. But for the Ramban, uh, there's a direct reference meant to deter people from soliciting the help of angels for our tefillah. And then in response, there were those who actually adopted it. There's a very famous section in a sefer called the Shibbal Heleket, based on a Gemara in Sanhedrin, which we're encouraged, at least the way Rashi explains, to seek the help of Malachim, who will help strengthen, amplify, advance our tefillos. Um, there's a very famous medrash from the Pasuk in Shir Hashirim, Hishbati Eschem Benos Yerushalayim, in which um, the, the uh, I forget if it's the male or the female, but one of the one of the lovers in Shir Hashirim turns to these daughters of Yerushalayim and asks for their help. And there are many different glosses as to what these, who these daughters represent. But according to one interpretation in the Medrash, this is a, a Medrash in Shir Hashirim, the Benos Yerushalayim are these malachim, these celestial uh, creatures who are asked to transport our tears and our tefillos to our lover, to our Kodesh Baruch Hu. And because of this, many, even Europeans... And European, Shabal Halakit is European, he's not an Oriental, are, are looking towards justifying these philos. And this debate rages on. It affected whether people did or didn't say Machnise Rachamim in the end of Slichos. A lot of people don't. I personally do not say it because of the opposition to this. It also, by the way, affected uh, another very, very popular tefillah, the Shalom Aleichem, 
which is about a 17th century poem that's meant to capture the Gemara and Shabbos on the Kofur test, which describes two malachim waiting for a person before he enters his home. And if the house is all arranged for Shabbos, then the, so to speak, virtuous, noble malach um, gives a bracha that all the Shabbos should be as gallant and as luxurious. And if chas v'shalom, the house is not properly prepared, then the evil malach, the prosecuting malach, um, foreshadows similar uh, similar uh, lethargy, similar similar lack of attention or diffidence in the future. And, and you can well imagine that this is a debate that spans many different elements of of Judaism. First of all, the the pure theological issue: Are we meant to to have intermediaries, and it can block and obscure our relationship with Hakadosh Baruch Hu, to make us think of Hakadosh Baruch Hu in ways that are heretical and inappropriate? And certainly, growing up in Christian territories in which the entire saga of angels and the role that angels play, and even the ability of angels to rebel against God in, in Christian idea, which we find farcical. We, there are no rebel angels, but Christian theology is based on Satan being a, a devilish angel that re- rebels against God and is cast to hell to, uh, to to suffer for his failed mutiny. And, and obviously for us, these are things that you know, make no sense and have no anchor in, in the world of Avodah Hashem and Satan for a Jew is, is not an angel that rebels or is God's enemy, Chas Hashem. Satan, Satan is like a Malach Hashem possessing no will of his own who says Shira and Shavach Baruch every morning and whose job it is to confuse human beings to make them weak so that the freedom of choice is robust and challenging rather than lame and automatic and if we saw the world with the same clarity that we see the world writes before Ni'ila concludes, then our freedom of choice would be meaningless. And Rav Yaakov Emden was very opposed to saying Shalom Aleichem, and he, the Vilna Gon supposedly did not want people to sing Shalom Aleichem, but certainly the part of Shalom Aleichem in which we ask the Malachim for a bracha. And others tried to defend it. Uh, the Maharal in Prague was opposed to it. Um, but he tried to say that if the invoking of Malachim is not real, but poetic, and I'll mention this in a moment, how, how I would say it or see it. Um, the Chassam Sofer was opposed to saying Machnisei Rachamim Mashmi the section in the end of Slichos, and he actually said that when he was the Chazan, he wouldn't make a big deal about it, he didn't want to make a big stink as we would say, so he just made believe he was saying Tachron a little bit longer, or he said Tachron actually, he didn't really make believe, he had more Kavana during Nefilos Um I, I think there really are two choices. Obviously, the the larger issue is the Slicha at the end of the Slichos called Machnisei Rachamim. Again, I don't say it. Those who do say it should really try to say it, but not really translate it literally, but just to see it as a way to highlight the difficulty of tefillah and how we're looking for help at all levels. And in particular, this Slicha that we recite on the second night, which is dominated by the word Ulai, maybe Hashem will have Rachmanis, maybe Hashem will have pity, that... You shouldn't see tshuva and tefillah as a guarantee, as a certainty. As much as HaKadosh Baruch Hu promises us, that can make us complacent and overconfident and very sterile in our tshuva process. It can become very practiced. And the word ulai, maybe Hashem will have Rahmanas on us, reminds us this is serious. This is a process that has grave connotations, whose outcome is by no means assured. None of us knew a year ago, where we'd be now. And that's the nature of things. And we don't know now 
where we'll be or what state we'll be in in another year. And sometimes we do settle into a bit of a complacency as if truth is an automatic. And the Rav spoke about this, or Soloveitchik spoke about this on many occasions. Maybe I'll mention it in some other slichos. But the word ulai, ulai yirachayim, ulai yirachayim, which opens every stanza and which closes every stanza in the skina. Um, reminds us that tshuva is not something we should take for granted. It's not a license. It's not something which we possess naturally. It's a gift from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And invoking Malachim, whether it's in the slight invocation in the beginning of this slicha, Malachim Rachamim Mishar Se'elion, or even the constant invocation in that slicha with which most slichas conclude, it's not done to really, you don't really expect Malachim to to advance your tefillah and shamayim, your tefillah is meant to be directed directly to Hakadosh Baruch Hu. They don't have a will of their own, but it's, it's poetic. It's it's imagery. It sets a tone. It reminds us that tefillah is not something which will automatically be accepted by Hakadosh Baruch Hu, and we have to struggle to make sure that tefillahs are authentic and passionate and heartfelt and focused and and deep and profound. And this process of looking for help and realizing the complex nature of davening for tshuva can be conveyed or can be conjured by thinking about perhaps looking for those who would help escort our tefillos into celestial spheres. But, or maybe HaKadosh Baruch Hu sets up a system whereby tefillos are, are advanced, but just to avoid too much of an interest and too much, and I don't know if it's true today, but I remember about 10 years ago, Fifteen years ago, hearing people being very involved in the world of malachim and and every mitzvah creates good malachim and every avera creates bad malachim and of course Chazal make references to that, but to live too graphically and too intimately with malachim constantly walking, it can lead to a lot of confusion. That's not what Judaism is about. It's not about angels. It's about human beings, direct relationships with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, freedom of choice, direct davening, consequence, reward, result, punishment, and, and history. And the malachim can be very, very disruptive and can be very um, distorting of that process. I just want to mention one more phrase in this slicha. And that's a phrase, because there are a lot of very, very rich references to different phrases um, throughout Tanakh. But one phrase is, in the, let me just find it here, in the third to last stanza, perhaps HaKadosh Baruch Hu will have mercy upon the nation that's been stricken twice, we've been consumed by lions and by other forms of tigers, we're paying back and we're being lashed because of the sin of the first of the Beis HaMikdash Avon Shulayim, which is a direct reference to the beginning of Eicha. And still, and here the kina turns, lo, uh, the Bislicha turns, I keep calling it a kina because it sounds so much like a kina, lo shachacha becholzos michtav oz chavion. Despite all the suffering, despite all the hardship, despite all the wandering, we still haven't forgot, lo shachacha becholzos, we still haven't forgot michtav, the letter, oz of strength, chavion. Chet Beis Yud Vav Nun Michtav Oz Chavion. So that's actually a reference to a pasuk in Chavakuk, and in the pasuk in Chavakuk, uh, Paragimel, the pasuk describes what most Mefarshim refer to as Har Sinai, but a Kodesh Baruch appearing on all those mountains in Paran and Teman, Vinoga. This is pasuk Gimel and the light was was brilliant, was radiant. Karnayim Yado Lo, the rays shooting out. 
the Sham Chavion Uzo. And there, the concealed strength of HaKadosh Baruch Hu was delivered. And this is obviously a reference to Torah. It's a reference to Torah which had hitherto, until that point, been concealed from the world, hadn't yet been revealed. It's a reference to Torah, the strength of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, perhaps to Torah which is, um, which is stored in an Aron Atav, Aron Uzecha, so the Aron's modifier is Uzecha. But this Kino takes us back to Harsinai and takes us back to a particular angle of Harsinai which the Pasuk in Chavakuk highlights, that Perak in Chavakuk, Peragimel, highlights, according to Moses Mepharsh, in this particular element. That's why the phrase, Lo Shachacha, we have not forgotten, despite all the suffering, despite all the difficulties, we haven't forgotten the letter of strength of Chavion, of Torah. And it's referencing that because that Perak in Chavakuk is meant to allude to the fact that HaKadosh Baruch Hu originally offered Torah to every nation of the world, including the Jewish people, yet one by one, people refused to accept Hashem's will because of the difficulties, because of the hardship. There's only one nation willing to embrace, willing to accept. That was the Jewish people. So in a slicha, which details how much we've suffered and been persecuted and been disparaged and been ridiculed throughout history by all the nations and sold as slaves and impoverished, and, uh, and, and still we've kept our faith, we return to Harsinai and we, we we highlight the irony that we were the only nation to accept your Torah. Others refused to accept the Torah. And yet history has turned the entire expectation on its head. The one nation that accepted Torah has been tortured. The nations who rejected Torah have prospered and have persecuted that one special nation. And it's about time, so to speak, that this be reversed and that history be restored, and the balance of history be restored to its proper settings, and be reset, and that's how we uh, solicit tshuva and kapara, not as individuals, but through that historical lens, and looking at history through the lens of Harsinai. So these are some of the themes of that, you know, that pismon, that interactive course, which we recite on the second night, according to Minak Polin. It's dominated by the word ulai, possibly, hopefully, which reminds us that it isn't a given. Um, it starts off on a very controversial note, but it's not the only slicha, or even the most powerful slicha, that triggers the controversy, but it's part of the entire controversy of angels, and do we refer to angels when we daven? And there are many, many very, very fertile references, but that reference of Harsinai is just a fascinating, uh, fascinating component of this slicha.